Christ is risen. Christos anesti. Christos voskresi. Christos alviat. Christos a resucitado. Christos voskresi. Christ is risen. We come to uh, the fourth Sunday after Pascha, and we encounter, as Christ did, the Samaritan woman. A beautiful story of conversion um, and confession uh, and a love and a compassion that Christ shows for all of us in, uh, in her. This is beautiful in regard to the promise of eternal life and the gift of uh, living water for us, um, the proclamation of uh, the gospel and the spread through uh, that area of the world, Sychar. Samaritan woman's confession and conversion went immediately to her children. She converted her sons and daughters and they began to preach in Sychar and began to convert the city. She subsequently went to Carthage in, uh, uh, in, in Africa and eventually was martyred by Nero, the emperor, and uh, was her martyrdom was she was thrown into a well. So she kind of ended where she started. But it's a great, great story for us and many, many lessons to learn from this Beautiful, beautiful uh, saint of, of ours, Fotini. This message today is brought to you by a friend of mine. I won't mention his name. He inspired me when we were meeting this week. Uh, the reason I say that is because if it's not any good, I'm blaming him. So there. So there's a couple things that kind of struck me in this gospel text. First is that <clears throat> Christ did not look at the sins of this woman. He looked at her. He looked at her person. He looked beyond the tragedies of her life, five husbands, living with the one who was not her husband. He looked past that. He didn't see that. He looked at her, and he saw something precious and beautiful in her. And she responded to, the, to that engagement, not to, not to that he was looking at that what, which, which, which would, in a sense, uh, kind of taint her. He looked at that which was beautiful in her, that personhood, that sense of person. I want to tell you a story about this because this was very dramatically demonstrated to me when I was a special ed teacher. I worked at Devereux School for eight years and uh, with children that had uh, very wonderful children, but they had uh, emotional and uh, mental issues that we had to deal with. But they were pretty together kids. And I got a job with the county schools and um, these were multiply handicapped children. They were uh, unable to walk, talk, some were blind, some couldn't see. 
uh, ages 3 to 18 I had. <clears throat> I was, I had to feed them, toilet them, change their diapers. So it was a very different life, very different group of people. And I remember the first week, I kept going, I don't know, did I make the right choice here? <laughs> this is really hard work. Because you come in and you just see all these, all the crippledness of them. And uh, all torn up and it was, their lives were very, very hard. Physically and mentally, they were very, very handicapped. And so one day, I was giving lunch to this one little girl named Alicia Keith. Beautiful Alicia, 16 years old. Very, very involved with cerebral palsy. Couldn't do very much. One of her goals was to lie on a mat and make a quarter turn. That's how tough it was. She couldn't come close to feeding herself. But that day, that day was very special to me. I saw in her eyes her person. I looked at her and I saw Alicia. And all the stuff around her just disappeared. No longer did I see the cripple. I saw Alicia. I saw her. And so the rest of my days in the county were looking for the persons in these people, looking past that crippledness, past that stuff that always gets in our way. That's the first thing we see. That's not, what the, first, that's not the first thing Christ saw in the Samaritan woman. He saw her person. He saw the beauty of this woman. And he knew that if, if he could speak long enough to her, she would, that beauty would come out. And she would leave that other thing behind. So for us, we have to learn to do this as, as Christ does, even to us. He looks, he understands our fallenness, but he doesn't see, that's not what he looks at. That's not what he sees first. He sees that person in us, that beautiful person in us, that image of God in us. That's what we should be looking at in all people. You know, we, we tend to look at the stuff that bothers us in other people, the, the stuff that just so dramatically jumps out at us, and that's how we define people. That's how we define our relationship with them. That's not right. That's not the Christian way. It should be that we look past that stuff and see their image, that person in them. You know, so for us, you know, we have to struggle with this. We have to look not at the poverty of people. You know, one of my favorite days of the week, I don't do this every Monday, but one of my favorite days of the week is St. Bridget Monday dinners. You know, Monday's an interesting day to me because it's, it's supposed to be my day off, one of my, one of my days off, which, that's too bad. We don't, as Father John Stephen would say, days off are for sissies. <laughs> I can't wait to get over there and see our friends. They, it, it, it excites me. Because I see these, these, the persons of these people, they're so precious. They're so precious. 
And the first time you look at somebody on the street or somebody that has a difficult situation like that, you look at all their stuff. You don't see their person. You know, I just, I, 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 I feel so blessed that we have that ministry, that we can see the persons involved there. And the other thing that kind of struck me, too, in this just personally was that we all have people in our lives that have been difficult for us, that have offended us and dealt with us in ways that maybe they shouldn't have dealt with us. Well, we all have to make a commitment not to look at those people through that, through that, through that grid. You don't look at them through that. Let's be St. Stephen. Don't hold this sin against them. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Drop that stuff that you hold against people so when you look at them, you don't see that stuff. You see their person. We have to be able to jump that direction for us. It's very, very critical for us to be able to see how Christ sees people. Not in their garbage, not in their fallenness, but in their person. So, the next question is, how do you look at yourself? How do you look at yourself? Through all that stuff? Is that what defines you? Your bad thoughts? Your sinfulness? So are you defined by that, that stuff? You know, you could be. And if you don't confess it. Because you know when it sits in there long enough, it does become you. It does sit there and it starts to define you. It doesn't need to, but it starts to define you when it's in there unconfessed. And then you, then you can become, if you've got anger and you're dealing with anger, you, uh, you become an angry guy, an angry person, right? It just sits there and that's how you define yourself. That's how you define yourself. Okay, maybe it's greedy. Maybe it's, oh, I like stuff. I like things. And I like holding on to them. And when I get some, I want more. We don't let that go. That defines us. Oh, that's a greedy person. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's all about me. Like society teaches it. It's all about me. It's not about the people around me. It's not about God. It's about me. About what I want, what I get, how much I get. And if I get it, I want to get more of it. Perhaps it's about lust. Lusting after the passions of the body. Lusting after the passions of the world. If we don't confess that stuff, it does, become, it does define us. It doesn't need to define us, but it can define us. Resentments, despondency, if we don't get it out, it can define us. And that's, God says, that's why I'm giving you confession, so you repent and get rid of this stuff, so it won't define you. We don't want the stuff to define us, we want to get it out so it doesn't define us, so that true person, that, that image of God in us is what defines us. Not that other stuff. So for confession. 
You know, the priest says he uses five examples when he hears a confession. God forgives you like he gave, forgave David through Nathan the prophet when he confessed his sins. Peter, weeping bitterly for his denial. The sinful woman in tears at his feet. The publican and the prodigal son. May the same God forgive you all things through me, a sinner. So those are the five examples we have. So King David, so when we come to confession, we come as King David comes, broken and a contrite heart. And you know, it's interesting because King David didn't come initially on his own. He says, as King David is forgiven, confessed by but through Nathan the prophet. Nathan convicted him. So sometimes, are you ever convicted? Somebody ever come to you and say, you know, you've got this issue. You have this issue. You need to listen to people around you once in a while. Father Mel Jamaica used to tell me, he said, uh, I'd always ask my wife what I needed to confess. I never do that. My confession would be way too long. Other people can help you. Listen to them. You know, we kind of push that away sometimes. And Peter, weeping bitterly for his denial. Peter, the, the great apostle, and so tragically denies the Lord he loved and served for three years. And it's so beautiful in the scriptures, you know, when the murmuring women are told by the angel... Angel says to the myrrh-bearing women, go, to, go tell the disciples and Peter. Because Peter is so forlorn and distraught. He doesn't think he's part of this anymore. Make sure Peter knows that I've arisen. And this is how God treats us too. You know, when it, we come and we don't think we can be forgiven, we don't understand we come with some simple tears, and God forgives. We need to understand how beautiful his forgiveness is, how broad it is. There's not a sin we can commit that cannot be forgiven in our repentance. Not a sin. So come to him. Come to him. Beg his forgiveness. And like... Uh, Peter weeping bitterly now, and the sinful woman in tears at his feet. You know, many sins. Here's the beautiful story of her. She comes, and the Lord says, uh, He who's forgiven much loves much. She knew all her sins, and she knew that God forgave her. And when you come in confession, you come to that loving God, and the response you have in your heart is to love him back. Thank you, Lord. My goodness. You forgave all of this stuff. Yes, I did forgive all of it. So we need to take advantage of this sacrament of confession. And the, the publican had no justification for himself. He sat in the very back of the church pounding his chest. Lord, have mercy on me. No justification. You know, when we confess, there are no becauses. We don't sin because. 
There may be reasons we do it, but there's no excuses. We just confess the sin. Lord, I did this. I did this. I did this. Publican had no, didn't, didn't justify himself. But we understand this beautiful thing of coming with, a, with that kind of humility and then the prodigal son who returns to God in his confession, to his father in confession. And this is what I want to end with. I want you to see this vision of confession. Okay, person runs into the church for confession. And the priest runs out. Father runs out to him. The priest, the father, gets on his knees to the one coming at confession and kisses him on the neck. Says, your sins are forgiven you. And then he puts a robe on him. He puts sandals on his feet so he can walk the way of the gospel. He puts a ring on his hand and makes him, another, again, a child of God. And then he kills the fatted calf, Christ, and has a party. That's confession. That's the beauty of our getting rid of the stuff that can define us. And we don't want, to define, we don't want it to define us. We want it to be something that we get rid of so that what defines us is the image of God in us, that beautiful person in us. May that be, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.